right. Well, uh, welcome again. Thank you for, uh, for being here. Um, if, again, you're new, you don't regularly worship, um, we are so grateful and thankful that you're, um, that you're here with us today. Uh, we've been um, on this journey beginning last week. Uh, I actually began Easter and took a, a week off, but we were back in this journey looking in the life of uh, a woman who was um, just radically transformed by, by Jesus, Mary Magdalene. We're going to spend the next uh, four more weeks after this talking about uh, her life and, and her story. I was uh, thinking back to my, uh, to my college days and um, towards the end of my first year in college, I uh, just lived a, a real kind of reckless and, and wasteful first couple semesters in, in college. And through that, that semester, after having grown up in, in, in church and yet never really experiencing God, uh, never really encountering Jesus in, in a personal way, just living uh, the way that I wanted, <laughs> wanted to live, um, felt like in the midst of this newfound quote-unquote freedom, um, my life was spiraling out of control. I was living in, in rebellion against God, running with the people that I shouldn't have been hanging out with and doing things that um, I would end up uh, looking back and, 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 and regretting. Through those, those two semesters, I, I felt God calling uh, me. Like sometimes it was very loudly. Sometimes it was through a whisper, but God constantly, constantly like drawing me back. And just me uh, responding to that and then bouncing back, responding and bouncing back. And, and after a couple semesters, several months of just kind of running away from God, um, there was this, this one, one uh, moment where I just, I, I, like everything snapped and I felt like I was free falling, completely free falling. And in that moment, it's like God caught a hold of me. And grabbed a hold of my life, just like the, the way that we're singing, grab, reached a hold of me. And, and in that moment, like I knew that my life wasn't going to be the same. Like he completely changed me. And it was like, I look back and it seems instantaneous. It was over a period of time, but everything about me was, was different. Like there was this, this, this encounter with the risen Lord Jesus where I knew that I couldn't live apart from him. And everything about my life would, would, would forever be changed. I had, uh, I had my own testimony. Like I was empty, and now I'm overflowing with life. I was broken, and now I've experienced the healing power of the saving one. I, I, I was lost, and I was confused, and now there's purpose. And, and after I, I, I met Jesus, like everything that I was looking for, everything I was longing for in life was just, just wrapped up in, in this one person, Jesus Christ, and, and everything would be, would be forever changed in the way that I saw things. And I just went off and I became this like one-man wrecking crew. I just went and was just telling everybody about Jesus. I, I was like a man on fire, just running around telling all these people, hey, I would see people sitting on campus reading a book. I'm like, hey, what you reading? Say, you want me to tell you, uh, have you ever read a book of the Bible? You want me to tell you about it? And I tell him from Genesis to Revelation, I say, this is a story in a nutshell. Share the gospel. Just dropping gospel bombs everywhere. Talking to people on the phone and, and, and I twist a conversation. Hey, you know what? You, you know Jesus? And he'd be like, dude, what happened to you? Like I was just going crazy, just telling all these people about Jesus. And after a while, the euphoria of all this began to wear off a little bit. To the point where I just began to question, were these experiences even real? Was this all this encounter even real? And as I thought back on those days, I wonder if you ever feel like that. You feel like you've had this encounter, kind of like Mary had, kind of like I had. You had this encounter, and then as you went off running around doing all the things that you think you're supposed to be doing, realizing and, and wondering at a certain point, hey, what is this all about? When the emotion wears off and the euphoria wears off and that experience, that catharsis kind of 
it, it wears off and you wonder, what was all that about? I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Because, because the path that I walked after my encounter with Jesus was a lot different uh, from the way Mary of Magdalene walked. And as we're talking about this journey, for those who are new to the journey, I want to welcome you into it and, and, and invite us to turn to Luke chapter 8, um, the passage we looked at again at last week as well, and see how, how, does, how does a person respond after having that encounter with Jesus? And if, you're, if you've been on the journey for some time, then I want to remind you, like, this is where we need to get back to constantly in order to turn from experience to move that into spiritual growth and maturity. Luke chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And if you're here last week, you're going to be like, dude, you read this last week. I know, but there's a lot more to it. We're going to actually read it next week as well. Um, but I want to also say that if you weren't here last week, um, last week kind of is the foundation upon which all of this is built upon. And so I would, again, encourage you to listen listen to that um, and allow yourself to, to think back and to ask, have I begun this journey in the way that the Bible describes it? But here's Luke 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Okay, the 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. Uh, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. This is God's word. I'm going to stop at verse 3. Uh, three things that... After Mary experiences Jesus, and it's all this is lumped together in Luke chapter 8, but after Mary has this encounter with Jesus, her, her life is changed. What happens? What happens? What's the next step in the journey for her after she meets this Jesus and she, she experiences healing, experiences cleansing, experiences forgiveness of sins? What's the next step? And here's the first thing. And this is going to be kind of cheesy because I, I know because all have told me this, but here's the first thing is that she tailgated uh, after Jesus, right? She tailgated hard after Jesus. What does that mean? I don't know if you've ever been driving and someone started tailgating you. Have you ever had that? You're driving and you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, that car is like right on my bumper. You ever have an experience like maybe like sixth graders, hopefully you've never, but for the rest of us, you're driving and then you, you see in the rear view mirror, you're like, oh my gosh. And so you want to like kind of show them. And so you like tap on your brakes or do something or you let them pass you and then you tailgate them back or whatever it is. We don't do that because we're, we're good people here. But maybe some of your friends have done that. I look back and good-looking person, the opposite gender, so you're like, oh, yeah, this is okay for them to tailgate me. But most of the time, we don't like it, right? So they're, they're tailgating us, and that's kind of how Mary followed Jesus. Now, there, there have been times where Olive and I have been driving. We need to go somewhere, and we have to take two cars because either she or I have to leave early. So we're driving, and I'm like, okay, Olive, follow me. And, and I look back, and that's what Olive's doing. She's like right on my tail. I'm like, good night, girl. And so I'm driving, and then we get to the place, I'm like, Yo, <laughs> why are you falling so closely? And she's like, well, you're like driving like Jeff Gordon. I need that. If I, if I don't follow you that closely, I'm going to lose you. And I, I, I think I've, I've talked about this here, but I remember one time driving and I saw this bumper sticker. Have I, I think I've mentioned this, but it had real fine print. And if you get close enough to the bumper, it says, do you follow Jesus this closely? And that's what Mary did. And she, here, here's a woman, she... 
Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. All of a sudden, Mary's life is changed. And she's like, the next thing, the next thing is like, I need to follow Jesus. Yeah, that's why she followed him. Like, that's why she, wherever Jesus was, she, it wasn't because like her parents said, hey, Mary, you need to go to church and you need to follow Jesus. Go. And she's like, ah, oh, gosh, this stinks and kicking the dust as she's going along. It, it wasn't because like all of her friends were like, hey, you know what? This is a cool way to live. Like her life was completely transformed. And she said, you know what? If he can change me in an instant, what could happen if I continued to follow after him? And what could happen out of gratitude she wanted to follow? Out of a grateful faith, she followed him. Do you remember, do you remember Shrek, the movie Shrek? Like not like Infinity or Third or whatever, but the very first one. The, the very first one begins where... Uh, there's these fairy tale characters, and for some reason they're being sold to evil Lord Farcott of of, of Duloc or whatever it is that he's from, and and they're selling these these fairy tale characters to him. Remember? And there's this you know this lady is selling Pinocchio, and Pinocchio is trying to lie his way out of it. Oh no! And his nose starts growing, and 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 there's Pinocchio, and then there's this this elderly lady, and she wants to sell um, a donkey. Okay, donkey named Donkey, right? I don't know what fairy tale Donkey comes out. It's not the Donkey. He's just Donkey, right? She's trying to sell Donkey. And as she's selling donkey, this fairy accidentally gets pixie dust on donkey. Do you remember this? And so donkey starts flying around. He's like, oh, you've seen a horse fly. You've seen a dragon fly. But have you ever seen a donkey fly, right? And it's really funny. And he's flying. And then all of a sudden, the pixie dust, the spell wears off. And boom, he falls to the ground. And here, evil Lord Farquaad's men, soldiers, get him. And they're chasing him into the, into the, in the forest. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm a goner. I'm a goner. I'm, a, I'm doomed. And then all of a sudden, Shrek shows up. Right? You remember this. And as these soldiers are chasing him, he stops and they, they read this letter and says, you are arrested. You must come with me. And, and then Shrek stands up big and tall and he says, you and what army? And the guy reading the, the note turns around and all his men have run because Shrek is so big and scary. You remember this, right? And then the other guy takes off and he runs also. And Shrek is just like, Shrek is an ogre. He lives in the, in the forest by himself. He's a loner. He doesn't really like people. He doesn't like interacting with them. He just lives by himself. And so there's Shrek and, and he turns around and, and Donkey is, is, is right there. And for that Donkey's like, oh my gosh, you're so cool. Did you see how you did that? And, and all he's just, yap, 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 yap. And Shrek is like, you know, get, get away from me. He, doesn't, he really doesn't like Donkey. And at one point, uh, at one point, Shrek says, why are you following me? And then Donkey sings this song. And Shrek, he was really annoyed because Donkey was following. Donkey's like, you know, if you, if you could do that, I want to hitch my wagon to you. And I want to follow you wherever you go. I want to go where you go. And that was the attitude of, of Mary. And Jesus changed my life. Wherever he goes, I want to go. I believe that if he began this kind of work in me, then surely he could carry it on to completion. If in just one moment he brought seven demons out of me, what could he do in my life if I continued to follow him? And she followed Jesus. I wonder, could Jesus accuse you and me of following him too closely? Could Jesus accuse you and me of following him too closely? Because a lot of us, the, the way that we follow Jesus is we walk like, 
we're following him, but yeah, but we're like 50 yards away. Kind of like, you know, the teenage girl who's like, oh, you know what? Her friend calls her, texts her and says, hey, you know what? Um, let's go to the mall. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's go. And, and she grabs her keys only to realize, oh, shoot. My older brother who's back from college is taking the car. So she texts back and she's like, oh, I'm going to be a little bit late. And she goes, mom, hey, uh, mom, can you, can you just drop me, off, uh, drop me off at the mall? I want to meet my friends. And mom is like, no way. Perfect. I need to go to the mall too. And she's like, oh, man. But can you just, can you just drop me off? I'm trying to meet my friends. Well, where, where do you need to go? Well, we're, we're meeting at Forever 21. No way. Oh, my gosh, there's a sale going on at Forever 21. I need to go there, too. I'll just, yeah, we'll, I'll just take you. We'll walk in together, and then you can do your own thing. Oh, did I say Forever 21, Mom? I, I, really meant to say, um, I really meant to say Old Navy. Oh, perfect. I've got this Old Navy. I've got to return all these things. It was the wrong size. I bought them. Oh, Mom, did I say Old Navy? I meant Banana Republic. No, I've got this gift card. It's going to expire tomorrow. And, okay, fine. She go with her mom, and she's like, but, Mom, you know what? Quite frankly, I'm a little bit, I'm kind of embarrassed. So can you just you go ahead, and, and I'll just follow you. And so mom goes, and she just wants to make sure that you're following you. Just, just go ahead, mom. I think that's how we follow Jesus a lot, isn't it? Like Jesus says, okay, here, here's Sunday service. Here's something to take home with you. Go, go. And you're like, go ahead, Jesus. I'll, um, maybe next week I'll obey. Maybe like after we have this kid grows up and he's a little bit older, maybe then I'll obey. Maybe I've got a, when I've got a little bit more money, then I'll then I'll obey. Maybe after like, I get my life together, then I'll follow you. Maybe when my friend moves away, or after, maybe, you know, surely this, this girl's going to break up with me. After she breaks up with me, then I'll follow you. Right? That's how we follow Jesus a lot of times. Like, can Jesus accuse us of tailgating him? Because after we have an encounter with Jesus, that's how he wants us to follow him. I, I said this a few weeks back, but Ray Vanderlaan, he used to say in the, old, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, when a rabbi would have disciples, they would say the disciples would walk so closely to the rabbi that they would get the dust of the rabbi on their clothes. And in time, the disciple would begin to look like their master. Their rabbi. And how closely are we walking to Jesus? And how much do we begin to look like Jesus when people look at our lives? And do we have the dust of the rabbi on us? Because if we follow Jesus, man, his word tells us all of the things that you and I deal with. All the things that we think about, oh my gosh, I'm stressed out. The Bible tells us what to do with stress. We're angry. The Bible tells us what to do with anger. Our parents, I can't stand them. It tells us what to do with our parents. Our children, I can't, I don't know what to do with them. It tells us what to do, how to interact. What to do with a spouse that we can't stand anymore. We, we, we thought we were soulmates. Now we're roommates. Now we're cellmates. We're in jail. I don't like it anymore. What do I do with them? The Bible tells us all of these things, and, and, and sometimes we walk so far behind Jesus, and that's why our lives don't smell like, look like, feel like the life of Christ that he promised to us. When he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. 
The Bible tells us about sex. It tells us about money. It tells us about uh, what to do with our time. It tells us what to do with all of these things. Give your first 10% and, and see if I don't overflow and, and treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Treat others better than yourself. Treat others the way that you've been treated. And, and we take these things and we're like, yeah, Jesus, keep on going. And, and I know you said those things, but, but maybe I'll go, keep going. I'll, I'll catch up to you. The first thing after we have this experience is we need to latch on to the life of Christ and hitch our wagon to him and, and see our lives continue to be transformed as we tailgate upon the shoestrings, upon the heels of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that, that Mary did. Second thing that we see here, it says at the end of verse 1, it says, The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. The second thing that Mary did is that she got into a community that lived out grace. She got in, into a community that, that, that lived out grace. She didn't, and this is what a lot of times we do, is we have this encounter with Jesus. Maybe it's at a retreat. Maybe it's at a worship service. Maybe it's at, in, in a conversation with somebody, and, and we give our lives to Christ. We, we surrender to him. We, we've uh, allowed him to forgive us of our sins. And then after that experience, we, we feel like we're, we're different people. And then we go right back into the same old life. So we dive right back into the same old pool and... The life of Christ that is promised, this newness of life begins to, to kind of seep out of us. See, Mary, after she encountered Jesus, she didn't go back to her old buddy. She didn't go back to her, her demonizing ways or, or to, to that kind of a life. She followed Jesus. Then she got plugged in to a community of people that were always walking with Jesus and understanding grace. Look, it, it's crazy. Can you imagine a small group or a house church like this? The 12 were with them and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons come out. Jo- jo- Joanna, the wife of Cusa, manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. Jesus, I mean, obviously he drew people to him who were affected by diseases and, and demons. But imagine being in a house church with 15 people and they share their story and it's all the same. I had demons in me and now I'm free. <laughs> like I was a leper, now my spots are clean. Right, this is a, imagine being in a, in a community like this. See, most communities in our world are about us putting our best foot forward or presenting our best, our, our best, everything that's good about us, trying to save face, isn't it? It's about seeing how we can talk ourselves up in order to be kind of like the head of our group in any group. Right, your Sunday school class, isn't it true? A lot of times we just want to be uh, the, the top of the class, whether that's academically maybe, maybe that's to be e- even in, in, in church circles. Right? There's a certain pecking order, isn't there? If, you're, if you seem more godly than other people, then people think you're the best. Or if you do a little bit more, or if you're a little bit more successful, if you're a little bit more funny, you're a little bit more outgoing, then somehow these people make it the top. You know where this word pecking order comes from? I'm going to enlighten you here. It comes from, it comes from chickens. Right? That makes sense. Uh, we had a guy, Yongju. Um, he since moved. He had, his dad owned a chicken farm. And chickens would peck at each other. And here's what, here's what pecking order means. It means that the, 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 the coolest, baddest chicken in the group had the authority to peck on every other chicken. Did you know this? They just walk up to randomly and just start pecking on him. And the other chickens are like, we're cool with that. You know why? Because you're at the highest 
level in the pecking order. Okay, people on the bottom of the chickens on the bottom of the pecking order, they're just like, all right, people are pecking on me. That's all. I can't fight back. I'm just a bottom chicken. Peck on me all you want. That's all I am. I'm just a, I'm just a pecking stick, right? Just keep pecking, pecking. People, chickens in the middle. Okay, chickens in the middle, they can peck on those that are below them, right? Ah, you bad, stupid chicken. Peck on. But then the chickens above them would be able to peck on them, right? This is what you call a pecking order. Now, I was reading, I was reading, this is great. My favorite uh, preacher these days, John Ortberg, he talks about um, in the orangutan, orangutan world. How do you say it? Orangutan, right? Okay. I, I, I want to say orangutan because it sounds better, but I know it's not spelled with a G at the end. So orangutan. In the orangutan world, there is a pecking order also, right? It's not by who pecks on who. But orangutans are kind of like Asian babies. They've got this like... Blue spot. You know, like Asian babies when they're born, they have this blue spot on their back called a Mongolian spot. Have you seen it? Some of y'all have. Okay, if you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, then uh, trust me that it's there. Orangutans have a blue spot on their on their butt too, and though I don't know why this is, animal behaviors don't really know why. But in the orangutan world, the highest one on the pecking order is the one who has the biggest blue spot on their butt. That's it. And they move to the top of the pecking order. And all of a sudden, if it's a male, like all the girl orangutans want to be with him. Like they want to go to prom with him. And they want to, you know, they want to be the one on his arms. And, hey, you know, this is really cool. We're at the top of the heap. You know, this, we, hey, we got blue bo- bottom. We're like in with a cool crowd now. So these, these scientists did this experiment. They took an orangutan from the bottom of the pecking order. No blue spot. Tiny. It was like a dot. They took this guy, right, and they painted a big blue spot on him. Okay, this is true. Painted a big blue spot on him, and they threw him back in the orangutan cage. All of a sudden, right, this dude was a zero. He became the hero. All, serious, all the female orangutans came coming up to him, and they're like, dude, we want to we wanna make a family with you. Yeah, you know, you're the best. It was great. Like this guy went from worst to first just by painting a blue spot on his butt. And, and they were like, oh, my gosh, this is great. And they loved him. Something sad happened along the way, though. His blue paint began to fade away. And one day, like this, he can't see his own bottom. So he's like, dude, this is great, man. Life is beautiful. And then all of a sudden, he's like, everyone shuns him. He like wakes up, he snaps his fingers, and the orangutans that used to come feeding him, giving him bananas and stuff, all of a sudden, they're gone. He's like, what happened? What's going on? What a terrible day it was for that blue-bottomed orangutan who realized that he wasn't what everybody thought he was. But that's how it is in our world. That our communities are constantly, we're always trying to find out how I can be, the be-, how I can be at the top of the pecking order. And you know, that's what we do too. As we paint our bottoms blue in order for people to look at us and say, you know what, let's elevate them to the top of this social order. They're the cool ones. They're the good ones. But the group, the community that Mary ran with was completely different. Can you imagine, like, these people are deeply aware. I know you. Man, you used to have, like, all these spots on you. I know you used to, man, you used to not have an arm and your arm grew back because Jesus touched you. Before they met Jesus, all these cats, demon-possessed people, afflicted, 
All these people, all they had was the front side of their cardboard. My life stinks. I am depressed. I am lonely. I am hopeless. I am helpless. This is all I am. I've got no hope in life. That's it. That's it. What reason do they have to boast? The only reason they have to boast is because one day, Jesus Christ came into their world and touched them, and their lives would forever be different. And they get into this community, and they recognize, hey, you know what? There's no need to posture here. You know, there's no need to paint our butts blue. Everybody knows everything about us. Everybody knows how broken we are. Everyone knows how messed up we are. Everybody knows how jacked up we are. We don't need to live this way. The first thing Mary did after she followed Jesus, she got into a community that lived out this kind of grace. It's not just these people, but look, it says the 12 disciples, the 12 are with him. It just kind of glosses over it. But think about the 12 that walked with Jesus. These guys were some weird old cats. These guys had major malfunctions too. There was... Thomas was a doubter. I constantly, he's Debbie Downer all the time. I don't think he can do that. I don't think Jesus can really walk on water. I don't think Jesus is going to heal that guy. I don't think Jesus can really feed 5,000 people. I don't think he can do it. But imagine being with this guy. And then there's Judas. This guy's always like greedy for money, always wanting more money. And see him like every, all the 11 other disciples are hanging out. And here he comes like this big man. They're like, where'd you get that? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> Just came from somewhere. Right, Judas said used to help himself to the silver bag. That's what the gospels say. They had this guy living amongst them. There were no, amongst them, there was a tax collector who sided with Rome amongst the people of, of the Jewish people. That's like, I don't know. But it, it's like two people that, that completely hate each other. Right? Two, two warring opposing groups. And there's in that group of people, there's one of the, the people from the other group. And then there's a zealot. A zealot is a fiercely patriotic, nationalistic guy. And they're in this group of people together. They hate each other. And they're probably asking Jesus, I mean, okay, I can deal with these other clowns, but why did you have to bring Matthew into here? And Matthew's like, why did you have to bring Simon into this group? It just it doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is like, look, you walk with me. I want to show you something. Let me show you a little bit about grace. You said, I'll heal your heart and make it clean. Open up your eyes to the things unseen. And then you say, show me how to love like you have loved me. All right, I'll show you. I'll show you. And in this community of grace, Jesus began to show them. Jesus began to show people like Mary who were demon-possessed. And she sees people who are just like her, and Jesus is loving them. People that she thinks are completely unlovable. And she's seeing how to love like he's loved her. And they're living out grace, and in time, these people would get it. These people would get it, and within a few years, they're out, and they're changing the world. Because they're living in this community that understands grace. And they get in this community. There are no illusions that the people walking with Jesus are perfect. I think some of us need to kind of lower our expectations for a moment and to realize that the people you're doing life with are jacked up. We paint our butts blue, but wait till our, wait till our paint wears off. 
There are no illusions of grandeur here. There are no illusions of perfection. There are no illusions of godliness. We are a broken people and we are journeying together. And the sooner we begin to realize that and extend grace to one another, then we're going to begin to realize that grace can be extended to us. That I don't need to paint myself blue anymore. I can talk about my brokenness. I can talk about my shame. I can talk about my past because if not for Jesus Christ, all I am is the empty, confused, lonely person that I was before I encountered Jesus. And the same is true with all of us. This is how important it is. Man, imagine what would happen if our house churches, instead of us just constantly talking about, you know what, life is good, everything's cool. We just be, we began to, to realize, I'm not going to use the paint anymore. I'm going to talk about how my week was crappy and how I, 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 I messed up and how I stumbled and a thousand times I failed this week. We began to talk about this. And a community was created where grace could be embraced and, and people would embrace you and say, you know what? And they don't say, you know what? That's not you. That's not you. you. Don't be so hard on yourself. They say, you know what? That is you. That is you. I've seen that in you. But we still love you. But we still love you. And we're not going to let you stay in that place. And we're not going to let you stay in that place. Let's go. Let's journey. We've got work to do. Let's move together. That's what Mary did. She followed hard after Jesus and she got into a community of grace where they could peel off their paint and say, you know what, this is who I am. That's the second. And then the last thing that kind of flows out of that, she knew that she couldn't reach her full potential alone. Hey, none of us are going to be able to reach our full potential alone. I don't think the Bible says it numerically. It doesn't say like apart from Jesus or apart from community, you're going to be like a, a three. But if you get in with a community, you can be a 10 or anything like that. It doesn't say that. But there's constant, constant, constant teaching, admonishment in the scripture that tells us that we need to be in community with other people. Imagine, I was thinking back, I was looking at pictures of, of our daughter Manny when she was born. And I was looking at all the people. Um, Right after she came out, there was three people around, um, around Manny. She was, like, crying, and she had, like, blood all over her, obviously. And, and there were three doctors, and they were taking her out of her mother Olive's stomach. There was three people. And immediately, they're passed on to three people who were cleaning her off. And immediately, she went to two people who were, like, doing these, like, leg tests and pulling her and doing things like this and seeing her reactions. And then they gave her to another doctor, and then that was there with her. And from the moment she was born, constantly being passed around, what, what if these doctors said, they, they took Manny out or took any baby out for that matter and said, all right, she's, we've done our duty. And they just left her on the table. All right, survive, do it. See, when we encounter Jesus, we experience Jesus, that's what, Je- that's what Jesus says, right? He says we are born again, that we are newborn. And as we're born, that's basically what we are. And just as a new baby is being passed from one person to another, I, we need to, because everyone understands that a baby cannot survive apart from community. They will never reach their full potential apart from parents, from teachers, a, a, a community of friends. They will never reach their full potential alone. Why would it be any different spiritually? Jesus wouldn't have used that analogy if it wasn't the case. So we get into these communities of people where we begin to, to grow, we begin to experience life, we begin to... To, to find that there are other people, man, this is, this is the stuff of life here. We never, ever, ever 
can or ought to journey alone. If it were so, then we wouldn't, man, we wouldn't need to do this. We would just say, I would just say, hey, go. Um, there are better preachers, a lot better preachers that you could listen to. Go listen to some of these people on your podcast. Go turn on your TV on, on, on some station. A, a fine preacher is going to come on. Great music. Hillsong TV comes on. Just watch that. If, if that were all it was about, just feeding your soul, then I'd say, yeah, you don't need to come here. I'll just do that at home too. But that's not what the Bible says. It just constantly talks about how we need to do this in communion. Let me let me see if I can let me see if I can hold this up here. Like all of most of the New Testament letters were written, except for like a, a couple that were written to to communities, churches, not individuals. But listen to the commands in, in the in the New Testament and how they necessarily involve other people. John thirteen fourteen, wash one another's feet. You can't do that by yourself. John 13, 3, John 15, 12, John 15, 17, Romans 13, 8, on and on. Love one another. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12, 10. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. Don't judge one another, Romans 14, 13. Accept one another, Romans 15, 7. Teach one another, Romans 15, 14. Salute one another, Romans 16, 16. Greet one another, 1 Corinthians 16, 20. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. 1 Peter 5, 14. Serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. Bear with one another in love, Ephesians 4, 2. Colossians 3, 13. Be kind and compassionate and forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32, Colossians 3.13. Teach and admonish one another with song, Colossians 3.16. Ephesians 5.19, comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. Spur one another to love and good works, Hebrews 10.24. Do not slander one another, James 4.11. Offer hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4.9. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, 1 Peter 5.5. Have fellowship with one another, 1 John. John 1, 7. I could go on and on. But we cannot, cannot do the Christian life alone. And we will never reach our full potential alone apart from a grace-lived, grace-drenched, grace-soaked community. We can't. And we deceive ourselves to think that I'm strong enough, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, doggone it, people like me, I'm just kidding, that we're, we're, we're strong enough to be able to do it apart from the community. Right? Because we can't. We, I mean, we need each other because it is so easy for us to lose sight of God, isn't it? And uh, like Olive and I and probably most parents are very intentional about teaching and, and training our daughter up in the ways of, of God. Now we, we, we try and read the Bible to her. We try and pray together. We tell her stories about Jesus and, and we teach her to pray before her meals and before she sleeps and at, at different points when someone is sick, we, she prays for them. And, 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 and one time Olive was... You know, she had given Manny her food and all this stuff. And, and sometime later, Olive was going to eat her food. And she was exhausted. She was hungry. And she started eating. And, and Manny said, Amma, which means mom, says, Kidohe, means pray. And so Olive's like, oh, yeah, I need to pray. And even the, at the time, a one-and-a-half-year-old can correct a person who's been walking with Jesus because we lose sight of God. And we need community. And that's just like an offhanded remark by a one-and-a-half-year-old, 18-month-old who doesn't know what she's talking about, hardly. But what if we got into communities where people were intentional about pushing and shaping and forming the Christ life in you and in me? And people say that uh, uh, 
one of our guys was telling us that there's this book that came out and it says the way that you know you're tight with somebody is if you can go to their house and without asking them, you could open up the fridge and take out whatever you want. That's like the intimacy test. Can you do that in someone's refrigerator? Biblically speaking, one of the tests of whether you're intimate and you're growing in community is do you love each other enough to speak the truth in love? Can you correct them? Can you tell them, hey, you know what? I think you're spending a little bit too much time with this or with that or with him or with her. You know what? I think you're, you may be crossing lines here. Hey, you know what? How is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with, you know, with people? Have you been spending adequate time with God? Have you crossed the line in, in any relationships? Are you, are you lacking integrity in any of your dealings with God's money? Whatever that might be. Do we love in that way? Are we able to, to do that? Because we will never reach our full potential alone. In fact, I think there's evidence in Scripture that shows that Jesus understood his need for people also. He had 12 disciples and 70 other people around him so that he could teach them and he could train them. But they were also there. He called on them. You remember, he called on them in those moments of life where he needed help more than any other. That Jesus needed to follow the Father as much as we need to follow him. And he needed a community just as much as we needed a community. In fact, the Godhead, Father, Spirit, Son, is a community. There is no, it's not a, I don't know what the word for a one-ity is, but that's not what it is. It's, it's a trinity, the triune God. Right, three in one, that even within the Godhead, there's a community to understand, to help us to picture how much we need other people in the journey in order to do this. And if, if we're not in, in a house church, for example, and you're off, in, in a sense, you're off the prayer radar. We, we were doing house church evaluations, and, and one of the questions, do you pray for your fellow house church members? And people pray in that house church for one another. And I, I think, you know, if you're not in the house church, yeah, I'm praying for you and people are praying for you. But to, to have that consistency on someone's prayer radar that they're constantly praying for you and they know your needs because you're opening up your heart in that context of community. And Jesus understood that. And how deeply he needed that. And yet there was this moment where he lost that where at the cross Jesus lost the community with these people that he had invested in and gave so much of himself to that he not only lost the community of of his followers but he lost the community he lost the hand of his father when God the father turned his face and no longer could he call him father but he called him God he did that for the forgiveness of our sins, but so that we could have a community that's built on grace. Do you understand? That's how much he, that's how much we need community is that Jesus gave his life and he lost community so that we could have it. Everything that we needed was given to us because that was stripped out of his hands. So that at the cross, the ground is level. We have nothing to boast in. The only thing that we have to boast in is that cross of Christ. 
And in order to have that, in order to have that, Jesus gave up everything that you and I needed and everything that he needed so that we could be drawn in. If this is the price that was paid for that very thing that we need, how much should that drive us to want to be part of a community like this? A community that follows after Jesus together. Community that takes off our mass and takes off our blue paint and says, here I am in my brokenness. Let's go. Help me, carry me, lead me. And sometimes you'll be stronger, sometimes I'll be stronger, but let's go together because we can't reach our full potential apart from each other. Let's pray. As we have the praise team come up, let's uh, pray for a moment. Maybe for some of us, it's that first part that convicts us. That Jesus is like, hey, follow me, come with me. And you're like, yeah, you know, Jesus, give me, give me a little bit. Give me about five steps, 10 steps, 15 steps behind you. I don't want to get dust on me. I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to be embarrassed. Maybe that's you, and today Jesus is saying, hey, don't you see? I'm not like Shrek. I don't get annoyed with you following up all close on me. I want, that's what I want, because that's where life is found for you. Maybe Jesus is calling us to follow him in a certain area with a certain habit, with a certain relationship, and he's saying, follow me. That's him. Let's confess Renounce, respond the way that God's calling us to. Maybe for others of us, we're in a community, but we've just been playing it safe, bringing blue paint to all of our meetings. And God's saying, hey, leave the paint at home. Go, find grace, find grace. Maybe others of us are are not in a community like that. Mary didn't wait until... Oh, wait, Jesus, before I get into community, I need to take care of my work. I need to take care of my finances. I need to do these things. That was the first thing she did as a follower of Christ is she followed him with a community. And maybe God's saying, hey, this needs to be priority. Get into it. Get into it. In humility, find a community. Find a house church. If you can't, for some reason you can't do that, then find people and say, let's meet together. Let's do it. Let's run this race. There's work to be done. I need to grow. Let's take a few minutes right now to come before the Lord in prayer, in our own ways, in our own words. Let's talk to God right now. That's all prayer is, just talk to God. Maybe for some of us, it's that that step to say, Jesus, I need you. I haven't taken that first step yet. I haven't given my life to you. I haven't surrendered my life to you, to be the Lord and to be the leader and the follower, to be the one who's dust gets on my clothes. I haven't made that decision. I want to follow you as a forgiver of my sins and the master of my life. Maybe that would be the first step for you. But let's pray. Let's pray for a few moments right now to respond to the word of God.
would get so close to you, Lord God, that we would follow you so closely, Lord God, that we would get on our clothes and on us, Lord God, the gospel of the rabbi, Lord God, that you would change us and that you would form us and that you would shape us in your community, that honors you and that loves you. May grace strive with our branches, Lord God, and love us, Lord God, that we would take off, Lord God, to walk with you, Jesus, it would be okay, Lord God, to serve you, Lord God, we'd all right to be all right to be broken, Lord God, but we serve you, thank you for you, Jesus, oh, how we need you, Lord God, how we need you, Lord Father in heaven, we thank you for a grace that is available to the worst of sinners, and no matter how many times we've messed up, no matter what we've done in the past, no matter how far and how fast we try and outrun our mistakes, we thank you that nothing will be able to separate us from those sins like the blood of Jesus Christ that covers over all of our stains and throws them into the sea of forgetfulness and puts our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west, never to see us again. We thank you for that grace and we thank you for the mercy that flows from Calvary. We thank you for the blood of Christ that has made us new. We pray now you would help us to live in that freedom and live in that grace. Father, some of us, you are, through your Holy Spirit, really convicting us and putting a finger on certain areas of our lives that need to be surrendered to you. And we will never experience the life-giving joy and freedom unless we surrender these areas. So challenge us and convict us and, and pry these things by grace out of our hands so that we might walk in faithfulness to you. Surround us with people, with a community, with people who understand grace and who embrace brokenness so that we could journey together to find hope in you. Jesus, lead us and guide us to be a transformational community built on your grace, not on presumption, not on masks, not on trying to climb to the top of the pecking order and putting our best foot forward. But God, help us to be a kind of people that understand that before you, we are nothing. And apart from you, we are nothing. That we are so desperately in need of you, Jesus. So lead us, guide us, bless us and fill us so that we might have on us the beautiful, life-transforming dust of the rabbi on our lives. We thank you, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.